Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett coming to you on the Thursday broadcast. And on this particular broadcast today, we're going to be talking about belief number 15. Man, we are going through all these beliefs, and we're all up to number 15. And this is talking about total surrender. Now, I know that's probably a subject that we don't like to talk about, but I want you to know that the universal sign language for surrender is hands up, right? So we are looking at this subject of total surrender. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, you got to be totally surrendered to Christ. Jesus doesn't give us an option to be halfway with him. It's all or none, okay? Uh, You're either a believer or you're not a believer. I guess you could say it's kind of like, I'm either married or I'm not married, okay? I'm not almost married or I'm not partly married or I'm not halfway married. And so many times as I think about how God drives home eternal truths to us, I think he does it often through the analogy of family and through the analogy of marriage specifically. And, uh, you know, when you get married, you leave somebody else and you cleave to your wife and uh, the two become one flesh. It's called the leave and cleave principle. So total surrender means I'm gonna leave my desires, I'm gonna leave my way of thinking, I'm gonna leave my influences, and I'm gonna be totally surrendered to Christ. Now, as the book of Romans outlines this entire concept, I wanna focus in on Romans 12, one and two, and I've got three things we're gonna look at, a coconut, a cookie cutter, and a cross, okay? Romans chapter 12, Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we see from this passage that a change takes place in view of God's mercy, and now we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul has spent 11 chapters in the book of Romans talking about what Christ has done for us. He spends half of that time talking about how bad of a state that we are in. Then he talks about what Christ has done for us, how he redeems us by his mercy, God's mercy. And because of this, now we see this transition taking place in chapter 12, where Paul is driving home the point that because we have experienced this change because of God's mercy, we should be offering ourselves, our bodies, as a living sacrifice. Maybe the best way to understand this is through the word metamorphosis, right? The change that takes place that causes us to be completely surrendered, okay? Metamorphosis, that's that transformation that renders a person completely unrecognizable, right? Remember the Incredible Hulk. Uh, he would be transformed, and, uh, and his ordinary citizen would also some become the Incredible Hulk. And so the process of change, and maybe another way to look at it is the process of change that takes place with a, with a butterfly, right? It starts off as an egg, and then it goes to a larva, and then it becomes this little caterpillar, and then it becomes a butterfly, right? And maybe you saw that uh, when you were in biology class, you saw that transition that takes place. This beautiful butterfly was first an ugly caterpillar, and it changed through metamorphosis. Before we came to Christ, we were trapped. And that's where the analogy of the coconut comes in. The way they catch monkeys is by drilling out a hole in a coconut, taking the coconut outside the juice out, draining it, and then putting another piece of fruit inside of that coconut, and they drill a hole that's maybe an inch and a half or so big, 
And so the monkey can just barely get his hand in through that little hole and he grabs onto that little piece of fruit, that banana, and he won't let go of it. And so now he can't get his hand outside of that hole. So he is trapped. So that's how we were. We were trapped in our sins. We had to let go so that God can bring about salvation to us. We couldn't keep hanging on to the fruits of unrighteousness. We couldn't keep hanging on to our sin. We had to release all that in order to be saved, in order to be out of that trap. And then Paul looks at the cookie cutter aspect of our faith. Because this has happened, because we have been set free, because we're no longer trapped, we are not to be any longer cookie cutter Christians. We are no longer to be like the world. Uh, We are to be changed because of God's mercy. We're no longer to be conformed to the pattern of this world. You know, as a kid, I used to love to help my mom make Christmas cookies. And we had all these different cookie cutters that we would use. Some would be like the shape of a Christmas tree. And uh, some would be in the the shape of different ornaments and things like that. And and so you just make these and they're all the same, same size, same shape. And, uh, And so it was great for making cookies, right? But Paul says, I don't want you to be thinking and being conformed to the pattern of the world. We're different, right? We don't think that way. When you think about how our world thinks, it's amazing that the world, on one hand, will say that we believe in science and you should follow the science. That is, of course, unless that science goes contrary to what we want to do. For example, the science of gender, right? It's very clear scientifically that there's only male or female There's no combination of two. There's no misunderstanding of what a male is or a female is. But now we have gender identity crisis where we have boys who think they're girls and girls who think they're boys. That would be conformed to the pattern of this world. Paul says we've been transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're no longer trapped. We no longer are in that coconut with our hands stuck in it. We have let go of that and we have been set free. Not only are we set free, but we are no longer conformed to the pattern of this world. And and then the third thing we look at is the cross, right? The cross is what has set us free because of what Christ has done for us. You know, he'll change your life. I become a better leader when I learn to be led by the Holy Spirit. Not me leading myself, but being led by the Holy Spirit. Jonathan Rumi is the actor who plays uh, Jesus in that very successful series called The Chosen, which is based on the Gospels. And before landing his role as Jesus, Jonathan Rumi had surrendered everything to Christ except his acting career. Uh, He was living in Los Angeles for eight years, and, and he was nearly broke. As a matter of fact, he said, there was one day in May of 2018 that I woke up It was on a Saturday morning, and I was $100 in overdraft. I only had $20 in my pocket. I had enough food to last that day. I had no income in sight, no work in sight. I had maxed out my credit cards. I literally didn't know how I was going to exist. He kneels before God, and he pours his heart out to God. And what happened? Well, he had been under the impression that God helps those who help themselves, but he later realized that the Lord helps those who rely on him. He said, for many years, my prayer was, if there's something else I should be doing, please show me what it is, because that is really hard. I literally said the words, I surrender, I surrender. He said, I realized at that moment 
that in many areas of my life, I had followed God. But when it came to my career, I thought I knew better than God. He said, I got this going, God. I'm the actor here. Don't worry. It's Hollywood. I know Hollywood, God. Don't worry about that. Well, Rumi left his apartment that day in May of 2018. He went for a walk to try to collect his thoughts, bought a breakfast sandwich with what little money he had left. Later that day, he found four checks in the mail. Three months later, Dallas Jenkins, the writer and the director of The Chosen, called them and offered them the role of Jesus. Now, don't you love that? Because that came together nice, right? Uh, he surrendered and he had nothing. He was at the bottom of the barrel and, and God showed up at just the right time. And we love stories like that. And sometimes God does that. But there's another person that didn't fare so well. He was actually a missionary. His name was Andrew Brunson. He was a missionary to Turkey. As a matter of fact, for 23 years, he served God and he built a church in Turkey. But he found himself in March of 2018, the same year that we just talked about with Jonathan and his situation. But we discover here that he found himself in prison for preaching the gospel. He wrote in his journal, let it be clear, this is March 2018, I am in prison, not for anything that I have done, not anything that I've done wrong. I'm here because of who I am, a Christian pastor. I believe this to be true. It is an honor to suffer for Jesus Christ as many have suffered on before me. But while he was incarcerated, he said it felt like God never showed up. He says, I'm totally surrendered to God, and yet as I'm in prison, I feel abandoned by God. As you look at total surrender, how does that work? Will I feel abandoned by God, I want you to know that total surrender is an act of the will. And sometimes it will feel great to be totally surrendered to Christ. Sometimes it may not feel so great. Why should I surrender to God then? And what is total surrender? And how do I do it? Well, let's take these questions one at a time. Why should I totally surrender to God? Because of His greatness. Because of His grace and because of his mercy. Romans 13, 11 says this, and knowing this for a season, that now it is high time for you to wake up out of your sleep, for now is salvation nearer to us than when we first believed. You see, because of God's mercy, we must realize that he's been so gracious to us. We must capitalize on his grace. We are reminded that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. God didn't leave or forsake Andrew Brunson. He felt abandoned, but God hadn't abandoned him. He was right there with him. It was C.S. Lewis who said, God, he doesn't shout to us in our times of pleasure. He shouts to us in our time of pain. That's when we can sense his presence more than ever. Now, it's not based on feeling. It's based upon his presence that he is right there in the midst of us in our time of need. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Okay, that's the why. I surrender because of God's grace. I surrender because of God's mercy. Sometimes I feel it. Sometimes I don't feel it. 
but that's irrelevant. God has been gracious to me. God has been merciful to me. God has taken this void within my life, this separation that I experienced, and he's filled it. What is total surrender? Let's talk about that. Total surrender is when I live by faith with eternity in mind. Paul says in Romans 1.16 that I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For the gospel is the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is from faith first to last, as it is written, the righteous live by faith. So that's an interesting phrase there, by faith from first to last. And perhaps the most transparent rendering of that verse for today would be found here in the New Living Translation that says, from start to finish, right? I live by faith, and it takes faith for me to have eternity in mind from the beginning of my walk with Christ to the finish of my life here on this earth, the righteous live by faith. Now, when we think about faith, there is a, there's an element of mystery to faith. If I had all the answers, I would not need faith. If I had all the solutions right in front of me, I would not need faith. I walk by faith, not by sight. Paul said to the Corinthian believers, be of good courage. You know, right now we're in this body, and sometimes we have some doubts, and we have some fears, but we're to walk by faith, not by sight. I think about Peter when he was out on the boat, and the storm comes in, and, and he sees Jesus walking on the water, and he asks if he can walk on the water, and so Jesus says, come on, walk on the water. So he gets out, and he walks on the water. Well, really, he was walking on faith. He was walking on the words that Jesus uttered. He had faith in those words, and he was walking on that water until he took his eyes off Christ. His faith began to diminish when he took his eyes off Christ and started looking at the storm. That's when he began to sink. But even Peter had enough sense to cry out, the Lord save me. He went back to walking by faith. You see, every time we walk by sight, we will get discouraged. You know, other versions use this word live rather than walk. You know, the, the walk here is a, a metaphorical reference to the way a person conducts his or her, her life. We still use that phrase like, all walks of my life, to mean a variety of lifestyles and cultures. Listen, we walk by faith, and this is available to all walks of life. And when we do this, we always live with eternity in mind. Live with the end in mind, not just the present or the past. Think about where you're going to be in the future. I live by faith. Number two, Total surrender is not only living by faith, living with eternity in mind, but it's also walking in humility. Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 26, says this, He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Verse 27, where then is boasting? It's excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. We maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? So Paul says, yes, of the Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith 
and the uncircumcised through the same faith, do we then nullify the law by faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. As we are surrendering to Christ, giving ourselves completely over to Him, we're not boasting about this, because even the ability to surrender to Him is given by Him as we have faith in Jesus Christ. And when we understand this, we don't boast about the law. We don't boast about what we've done because we really haven't done anything except give ourselves over to him. And then Paul says, is this something that is just for the Jews or just for the Gentiles? He said, no, no, this is for everybody. This is a universal way of seeing or comprehending how somebody is surrendered to Christ. They are not boasting. They are walking in Christ. Because if I boast about what I've done, I am getting the glory, and I'm not surrendering to Christ. I am surrendering to myself. You know, every time I find myself full of myself, it's because of pride. I desire this, or I'm entitled to this, or or nobody understands what I'm going through. I I want you to know, I've been justified by faith apart from the law. I walk in humility. I tell the guys at Indian Creek Correctional Center, listen, if you stay humble, you will never stumble because you're already low. Nobody can knock you down any lower because you're already humble. You're not boasting about what you've done. You are surrendered and walking in humility. So surrender is being one who lives by faith in Christ with eternity in mind. Surrender is walking in humility, no more boasting. Number three, when we are surrendering to Christ, we are dead to sin. Romans 6, 1 through 5 says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have been dead to sin. How can we live any longer therein? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may now live a new life. For we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly be also united with him in the resurrection like his. So to be dead to sin doesn't mean we are sinless because that's impossible. Paul made it clear that he continued to struggle with temptation, continued to struggle with sin. Matter of fact, he says in the next chapter, Romans chapter 7, For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do, that I keep doing. He says, now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that is living in me that does it. So Paul had this ongoing struggle with temptation, this ongoing struggle with sin, even though he was dead to sin. If Paul could call himself the worst of sinners, uh, then we should certainly expect to continue our conflict with sin until we reach heaven. I heard one pastor give this illustration of what it means to be dead to sin, realizing that sin still may come back and bite us from time to time. And he uses the illustration of a snake that had its head severed, but he got bit by that snake. That snake that he thought was dead, that head that was dead, still struck out and bit him. How could that happen? A dead snake. The head was still alive. It still had one last shot to get him. Paul said, I was the worst of sinners. There's going to be an ongoing conflict in your life with sin. 
So to be dead to sin means we no longer need to be controlled by that sinful nature. You see, before you were dead to sin, you were in totally controlled by sin. Romans 6.17 teaches us, Though you used to be a slave to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Before Christ, we were slaves to sins. Now we have a new master. Sin continues to exist, but we are no longer dominated by it. You ever get frustrated when something is obviously wrong and the person you are trying to convince of has no clue as to what you're trying to argue? As we think about being surrendered to Christ, all of a sudden the lights come on. All of a sudden we have an understanding of what God's will is for our lives and how God is working in our lives. So we've learned a lot so far today about what surrender is. We've talked about total surrender is that we've got to live by faith, faith in Christ with eternity in mind. We've got to walk in humility, not boasting about our surrender. And then we're dead to sin. In other words, we're no longer controlled by the pattern of sin or by the sinful nature being the controlling entity of our lives. And then number four, we are released from the law. Paul says in Romans 7, verse 6, But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written law. So the law is intended to convict me. The law is intended to make me feel guilty when I break it. The law is intended to point out what sin is. But once my sin has been dealt with and I am surrendered to Christ, I am no longer bound to the law. The law has no control over me because I have met the criteria of the law. Now I'm released from that law. In our country, we have this this law that says you can't be tried for the same crime twice. Uh, It would be called double jeopardy. So once you've been tried, uh, you are no longer going to be tried again for that same crime. You have fulfilled the requirement of the law. Now, we did the same thing as we were released from the law when we surrendered to Christ. Christ fulfilled the judgment required by the law. He took our penalty. Now the law has been fulfilled. So now we live in a new way, not controlled by the law, but by the Spirit. Not in the old way of the written code. Now we are free. And the great thing about this freedom, we are now free to serve to be a blessing to others, to tell others how they can be released from the law. Well, there's something else that happens to a person that is totally surrendered. Number five, we are free from all condemnation. Now, this is such an exciting point because so many people are walking around feeling condemned. Uh, Maybe uh, that you never lived up to the expectations of your mom and dad. Maybe you never uh, have achieved the level of success that you wanted to achieve. Maybe you've been in a marriage that you thought was going to be a marriage made in heaven, and it has fallen apart, and you are feeling condemnation because you didn't do all that you could have done to salvage that marriage. I I want you to know that when you totally surrender to Christ— There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law 
of the Spirit who gives us life has set us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering for us, so that He would be condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Oh, I want you to know when Jesus sets you free, you are free indeed. No more condemnation, no more shame, no more pain, no more guilt. You are set free. The law is powerless to condemn us. Listen, when Jesus declares you free, you are free indeed. Well, I hope that you join me tomorrow as we continue on what a surrendered life looks like And we'll talk about how to be totally surrendered to God, what is involved in that process, and how you can live a life really of full abundance. And I'm not talking about full abundance and health and wealth and prosperity. I'm talking about a life that is free from condemnation, a life that is free from enslavement to sin. So join me tomorrow as we continue on our study of what a life that is totally surrendered looks like. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.